Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Jesus is in the house today. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. We bind and rebuke any other spirits. You are not welcome. We yield to you, Jesus. We yield to your presence. We have the posture of open hands and open hearts. We pray this morning that your word would light up every dark corner within our hearts and around this city. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the light of the world. Thank you, Jesus, that you called us the light of the world. Would you just light us up this morning with your presence? Thank you for your kindness, God, that leads us to repentance. You're so kind. You're so good. You didn't have to leave your throne room and come to this earth and dress yourself up as a man and take flesh, but you did for us because you loved us. You loved the one. You didn't have to die a death that was brutal to beat your body, that was unrecognizable. But you did for us. You took our pain and our punishment. You became the second Adam so that we could come back to the Father. We're just so grateful that in the darkness in that cave, you you took a breath, changed everything when you lit up that grave. And now because of your resurrection life, we have resurrection life. The power of of the grave lives in us. So we thank you, Jesus. We thank you for this word. I pray that these seeds would find fertile soil. And we know that this word will bear much fruit because you've told us it will. In Jesus' name, amen. I almost got you, Tay. That's bright. That scare you? thought Jesus was coming back, right? You never know. It's going to happen. So we're wrapping up our series, Dark Corners, today. And it's really a series on light, isn't it? Light that completely fills up and eliminates dark corners. That's the the entire purpose of this series. So I want to just talk about light for a second here. I'll shut this off in a second. I know know I'm hopefully not blinding you. 
let's ask ourselves the question, what is light? Actually, the question is actually, who is light? John 1, beautiful passage, says this, in the beginning the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. To everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters, and then God said, what? Let there be light. And God saw that the light was good, and then he separated, he separated light from darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness night. See, the word Jesus spoke and there was light. The spirit of God hovered over the dark waters and then there was light. And he separated darkness and light. In Psalm 139 it says, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day for darkness is as light to you. There is no darkness in him. Only light. So what's the purpose of light then? It's to extinguish darkness. Wherever there is light, you don't find darkness. They cannot coexist. They cannot co-mingle. Luke 11, 33 to 36, the theme of this series says, No one lights a lamp and hides it or puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where its light can be seen by all who enter the house. And check this out. It says, Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But if it's unhealthy, your body is filled with darkness. Make sure the light that you think you have is not actually darkness. If you are filled with light with no dark corners, then your whole life will be radiant as though a floodlight were filling you with light. I'll turn this off. So how do we get light? It just told us there. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. See, what you see determines who you are. What you're looking at determines how much light you carry. John in Revelation, remember, he, the theme of Revelation is, look, I saw, I looked, I saw. See, we have to make sure that the light that we think we have is not actually darkness. I think many of us carry this flashlight around and think we have light. Just because you're carrying it doesn't mean it's on. Make sure the light that you think you have is not actually darkness. If you're filled with light with no dark corners, then your entire life will be radiant, as though a floodlight were filling you with light. The entire purpose of light is to extinguish darkness. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Right? He says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, 
but they will have the light of life. So if we're following him, if we're stepping after him is what he calls us to do, and he's so gracious, he won't force you. He didn't make you a robot. He lets you choose. He comes to your shoreline and he says, just like he did to the disciples, follow me. And then he keeps walking. And it's up to you and me whether we step after him. But if we're stepping after the light of the world, then that light shines in us. And then Jesus says, you are the light of the world. He is the light of the world. You are the light of the world because of him. I want to ask you a question. Has there ever been an instance you can think of where darkness has overcome light? It's not a trick question. Have you ever seen darkness overcome light? No, one of you, I guess, was brave enough to answer that. No, light always overcomes darkness. You've never gone, you know, as the sun was coming up in the morning, you've never seen a day where it didn't come up and light up the entire world, did you? No, you've never gone to turn a flashlight on when you have batteries and it hasn't lit up the darkness. The darkness was too powerful for the light. No, it doesn't happen. Light is an offensive weapon. Light always lights up the darkness. It always overcomes darkness. And listen to this. Light actually attracts darkness and flips it to light. And if Jesus is the light of the world and you are the light of the world, because you're following Jesus, then everywhere you go, should light up, correct? Every dark corner that you go into, whether it's in your heart internally or around you physically, should light up because he's the light of the world, you're the light of the world. If your flashlight's working, it should light it up, right? Unless the light that you think you have is actually darkness. It's a sobering thought. If the dark corners that you and I are walking into do not light up, then you and I need to look at our light source because it's actually darkness and not light. And we're walking around with religion and a dead flashlight. Proverbs 21 verse 22 says this. This is where I'm going today. It says, a warrior, that's you and I, filled with wisdom ascends into the high place and releases regional breakthrough, bringing down the strongholds of the mighty. A warrior filled with wisdom. What's wisdom? It's not knowledge. It's a person. His name is Jesus. A warrior filled with Jesus ascends to the throne room and from there releases regional breakthrough, bringing down the strongholds of the mighty. What did John, what did Jesus tell John in Revelation 4 and 5? He said, come up here. Ascend up here, warrior. See things, look from this perspective, from my throne room, because then you are far above every principality and power. From there, you can see and declare my regional breakthroughs over strongholds where you live in your heart everywhere. See, the, what did we learn last week that Phil taught us? Powerful message. That there are regional principalities and powers, demonic principalities and powers that control regions, control strongholds. 
We don't need to be afraid of them because with Jesus we are seated in heavenly realms high above every principality and power. Right? And if you're a warrior filled with wisdom, you can go to that high place and release regional breakthrough over your city. Because of the cross, because of his blood, you and I are seated high above every demonic stronghold. But we have to realize we're in a battle. We are in a war. We're not just playing tiddlywinks and running to a cave until Jesus comes home. That's called religion. We're actually in a war, and specifically, I want to call out the spirit of religion today and declare that its time in this region is over and it's crumbling. I want to show you a few stories from scripture where Jesus went after the darkest corners and he flipped them to light. And if Jesus did it, you and I are called to do it too. Amen? A warrior ascends to the high place filled with wisdom and releases regional breakthrough. I love it. First story is uh, Jericho. Jericho. So in Joshua 1, which is a very foundational for this church, the book of Joshua and the book of Acts are foundational how God started this church just over seven years ago. Joshua 1 starts off by kind of a great reset, really. The Lord says to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. So step into the land. It's a new season. It's a new wineskin. And then in verse 3, this is crazy. The Lord says to Joshua, he says, I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land that I've given you. Now think about this for a second. The Lord's telling Joshua this. I'm giving you the same promise I gave Moses. <laughs> Joshua's got to be thinking, that, that didn't work out so good for Moses. See, you and I have the same promise of the land that's promised to us. The only difference is whether you'll step into that promise or not and take it. He's not a God that forces you. He's won the battle. He's won the victory in the land. But it's your job, my job, to decide with faith to step over the Jordan River and into the land he's promised. See, the whole land, the entire land was given to the people, but they still had to defeat 31 cities over the span of years, bloody battles. They had to step into the promise. See, you, you will only possess the land that God has for you where you step your feet. That's why this church is named after Acts 2.14, where we step forward after those who have gone before us. There's a, there's a step that you and I have to take. Jesus is always moving. The only question is, are you following him? You'll only possess the territory that you lay claim to, that you plant your flag in. Alan Redpath, he's uh, passed away now, he's in heaven, but he said something powerful. He said, the greatest of saints are the greatest receivers. The greatest of saints are the greatest receivers. Can you receive the promise and then do something with it? See, Moses was given that exact same promise. I think that shook Joshua to his core. It should have. He had 40 years to think about it because of the disobedience of that generation. Only he and Caleb were the ones that survived to go in the promised land. And the generation of Moses never entered the land. 
Remember Moses, if you remember the story, Moses sent out 12 spies to scout Canaan. And 10 came back and they were fearful and afraid. So there's no way we can take this land. Even after they'd heard the same promise. And only two had enough faith to say, absolutely, we can take it. Joshua and Caleb. And because of the fear of 10 people, it became the fear of the entire, uh, entire group of Israel. Because Moses allowed fear to dominate in a public meeting. And all of a sudden, faith had no room to grow. It was choked out. And because of this, an entire generation that carried the same promise, they never stepped into the land that should have been theirs. Tragic. Absolutely tragic. Instead, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until they died off. Think about Joshua and Caleb suffering the consequence of everyone else, their disobedience. And for 40 years, they did the right thing. They had the faith, but they had to suffer the consequences. But praise God, he gives sense second chances. But I bet those 40 years in the wilderness, they were training up some young men, some young women, to be ready to conquer the land. See, God is so loving, he will give you exactly what you desire. And if you don't have the faith to step into his promise, he will allow you to wander in the wilderness the rest of your life. And there's many people that are listening to the sound of my voice that are like, yeah, that's a tragic story, but you're wandering in the wilderness. You have the same promise of Moses and Joshua, but you're not stepping into the land. There's dark corners that need to be conquered. Every one of us has those. I promise you what I promised Moses, wherever you set foot, you will be on land I've given you. It was the same promise as he given Moses, but it was a new wineskin. See, that old wineskin of fear had to be thrown away, didn't it? To carry the new wineskin of faith. That, that former generation had to die off so the new generation could stack, step in. I guarantee you Moses, or Joshua had been thinking about this moment for 40 years. Check this out, the next chapter, Joshua 2, 1 to 3. I never noticed this before. The word of God is amazing, living and active. Then Joshua sent out 12 spies? No, two spies. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies. He had 40 years to think about it. I bet he and Caleb chose those two men trained them up for 40 years and chose the most, most faith-filled men that embodied their same spirit. And instead of doing what Moses did, made it a public thing, he sent them out secretly. And he instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. He picked the strongest, most fortified city, and he sent his two warriors to that city. He sends out two spies, not 12, handpicked, guaranteed by him and Caleb. They'd had wilderness training for 40 years. They were ready to step forward in faith, and he sent them out secretly. Listen to me. This is a little rabbit trail, but it's free. 
There's some things, there's actually a lot of things that God does in secret. That he does in mystery. The cross was a giant secret, a giant mystery. Not every word that he gives you is to be released publicly. This is huge. Not every word is, that he gives you is to be released publicly. Sometimes it's for another day, a season, a time. See, when David defeated Goliath, he took how many stones? Five stones. He only used one that day. He had four others. Proverbs says a word aptly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. There's a right time and season to release the right word. And sometimes, I've done it before, I've rushed it. I've rushed the word. These, car these carpets here are a perfect example of <laughs> how I rushed the word. I wasn't going to tell this story, but... So many years ago at, at Monarch Music Hall, I'd, I'd come back from a powerful um, weekend with the Lord in Redding, California, and I had an experience with the Holy Spirit on some carpet, just laying face down. And I come back to the church, and we're having a worship night, and I'm like, guys, we got to buy the carpets, set them out. Like, I could, I could see it. And looking back now, you know how Joseph got the dream, and he got all excited? That was me. I saw the right thing, but it wasn't in the right moment. But it, it was good. It forced us now. See, at that time, no one knew what to do with the carpets. They, like, avoided them, like the plague. I was the only one up there, and it was, it was awkward and weird. But now, it's a beautiful place to come to the throne room. So, not all words are to be released right away or publicly. You know, Jesus, many times, he would take three. He took only three disciples up to the Mount Transfiguration, didn't he? And then he had a group of 12 disciples. Then he had the 70 that he sent out. Not everything is for everyone. He does things in mystery. Okay, that was free. Don't cast pearls before swine. Don't, say, don't cast valuable words from the Lord that are just going to be thrown into the pig pen. So I love this. Joshua says to the two spies, go out secretly and scout the land, especially scout Jericho. Strongest city first. So he sends the two men out, and they go out, and they go right to Jericho. And where do they go? The darkest corner of Jericho, a prostitute's house. I love how God works. We have to start thinking like he thinks. If we're the light of the world, he's the light of the world, where are we going to go and light up first? The darkest corner. And the darkest corner of Rahab's house because she agreed with what they were bringing. The peace and the word that they were bringing. It took down the entire stronghold. This is huge. Forty years of waiting. The two spies are sent out. They go to the darkest corner of the strongest city with fortified walls. And Jesus lights it up. And some, somebody must have seen these spies go in there. I mean, this talk about, talk about religion. I mean, Joshua's training these guys for 40 years, and the first thing to do is go to a prostitute's house. We'd be like, uh, uh, what? Uh, um, did you see where Billy and, and Sean went? So somebody must have been talking. I don't know who Billy and Sean are. I just picked that Somebody must have been talking in Jericho because the king, all of a sudden, of Jericho heard 
that these guys were visiting Rahab's house, the red light district. And so they, they said, bring some soldiers over to the house, search the house. And I, I think you know the story. If not, uh, Rahab basically turned the soldiers away and sent them on a wild goose cha chase. She said they were here, but they've left. They went into the hill country when, in fact, she'd actually hidden them on the roof. And I love this because the spies come back to Joshua, and this is their report. Forty years, man, things can change instantly after 40 years. There's things you're, you're planting right now that are for a stronghold to come down in 40 years. There's things you're experiencing right now that have been prayed into 40 years ago. It's not always just about you. It's about the next generation. And the two spies come back and they say to Joshua, remember this is secretly. They said, the Lord has given us the whole land. Did they go and scout the whole land? No, they just went to Jericho. The Lord has given us the whole land. Do you know how powerful it is when you agree with the Lord? Where two or three come in agreement, there's power there. And then the spy says, for the people of the land are terrified of us. I, I want this to sink in deep today. I've got a word for you this morning. The darkness is terrified of you. You are the light of the world. And a city set on a hill cannot be hid. Are you going to choose to walk out that promise? Are you going to choose to light up dark corners? Are you going to choose to step after the light of the world and become the light of the world yourself? Joshua 6 says, Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. <laughs> I love this. You have to think in spiritual warfare terms here. It said no one went in, no one came out. The door was shut. See, the doors that he shuts... Jesus, no one can open. The doors that he opens, no one can close. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I've given Jericho into your hand, along with its king, its strong man, its principality, and mighty men of valor, its demonic forces. Jericho was the strongest city in the region. It was a stronghold fortified with walls to withstand any attack. In fact, when I was doing research, I read that archaeological archaeological experts believe that they could have, that Jericho had enough food and provisions to withstand a two-year siege by the Israelites. So I don't think they were worried at all. They thought, yeah, these guys marching silently around for six days, they'll give up after a little bit. And then the seventh day came. Seven days they marched around Jericho with the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant going before them. Our definition of success at this church is the presence of God and then the freedom that he brings. That's the only thing we'll ever go after, his presence and his freedom. The presence of God went before them. They had the faith of the promise. They had the obedience to what God told them to do, and it literally pulled the walls to the ground. Strongholds are falling in Peoria.
That's what I came here to tell you today. See, we're seeing things happen suddenly. Get this. We're seeing things happen suddenly in seven days, in seven minutes, in seven hours. But remember, it was the Joshua and Caleb's that had the faith for 40 years to inherit a seven-day victory. Yes, you're fighting for the here and now. But you're also fighting for a Jericho 40 years from now. Hebrews 11. I love that Hebrews 11 mentions Rahab. But it starts off by this. It says, faith pulled Jericho's walls down after the people marched around them for seven days. Faith provided a way of escape for Rahab the prostitute, avoiding the destruction of unbelievers because she received, listen to this, she received the Hebrew spies in peace. She received the word, she received the promise, and she agreed with it. If you hear nothing else today, be a the greatest saints, Alan Red Pat said, are the greatest receivers. Jesus says he comes with peace. And if you don't receive him in peace, shake the dust. If you bring the peace of Jesus and it's not received, don't cast pearls before swine. Shake the dust. He comes in peace. How you receive the promise is everything. What you agree with determines the course of the battle. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For our weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. We're living in a time frame of lofty arguments being raised up. And the first weapon you have to use is your heart and your mind. And you stop those, you take them captive in your mind before they can gain any space. And then you use the word of God to destroy and take those strongholds down. You agree with his promise. When you agree with his word, that's faith. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen with these eyes. But what did Jesus tell John? Come up here. See from my perspective. And then that faith, that agreement, releases regional breakthrough in the strongest demonic strongholds. See, when your eye is healthy, then your whole body will be filled with light. What are you looking at today? Who are you looking at? The two spies, they agreed with the promise. Rahab agreed with the promise. And so it says, Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in the house because she'd hidden the spies that Joshua sent to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. I love that. That's today. That's her faith lives among, you've been grafted in, you're an Israelite. Her faith lives among you today. What you do matters for the next generation. Your faith can live on. And see, once one region is set free, it can set other regions free. Once one stronghold is taken down, once Jericho was freed and released, they could go after the other 30 cities of the land. The battle wasn't over, but they took the key stronghold out, out first. What if you and I would change our mindset? What if we would actually intentionally run after dark corners? What if we go after Jericho first? We identify the strongest strongholds and go after them first. Why not? 
It says, you know, Jesus talks about a strong man coming into the house. And that's powerful until a stronger one comes. He's stronger. He's strongest. And if you and I carry him, nothing can stop us. The word, you've heard me say this before, some of you, but the word Peoria means carrier. It's an Indian word, Piwariwa. It means carrier. This is a significant region. This is a significant place. That's not an accident that that word means carrier. You and I are carriers of light. You and I are carriers of the presence of God. And it's our job to, wherever we go, light up dark places. And if we're not doing that, if things aren't being lit up when you're walking around in dark corners, then check your light source. Because the light that you think you have is actually not light. It's darkness. What if we run towards the darkness and confront it? What if we find graveyards and run towards them instead of away from them? What if we go as a church into the center of the city, into the heart of the city, and jumpstart its heart again in the heart of Illinois? Mark 5, there's a story of Jesus, and he went to a region. He went to a region called Gerasenes. And as Jesus stepped ashore in this region, a demon-possessed madman came out of the graveyard and confronted him, confronted Jesus. The man had been living there in the tombs of the dead, and no one was able to restrain him, not even with chains. Every time they tried to chain this guy down, he'd snap the chains and he'd break the shackles in pieces. He was so strong that no one had the power to subdue him. And day and night, he could be found lurking in the cemetery or in the vicinity, shrieking and, and mangling himself with stones, totally filled with demons. And I love this, though. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran to Jesus. He's the light of the world. You're the light of the world. When dark things run to you, that's a good thing. Because you're about to light them up. You don't need to be scared of dark corners. You actually need to be encouraged that the darkness is confronting you because they see Jesus in you. Demons are attracted to the presence of Jesus. And that's what happened in this story. And he comes running to Jesus, and he says, leave me alone, Jesus, son of the most high God. Demons know the truth. Don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to him, come out of you, you demon spirit. And if you remember the story, he asked them, he asked the demons their name, and they said legion, because there were many. See, there's, there's some demonic forces, like we learned last week, that are more that are stronger. And Legion had thousands of demons in this one man. It was a very strong principality. And one of the, the spirits, the principalities over this region is the spirit of religion. And we've we've seen it for years. But I've come to tell you today that it's breaking off. And it can't stand against the power of Jesus. And it might be shrieking and trying to hold on, 
but it's breaking off in the presence of Jesus. I love that his presence stirs up demonic things. We've seen it even moving into this building. The sweet presence of the Lord is in this place. And we've seen darkness flee. Darkness cannot stay in this room. because Not because it's Church 214, but it's because it's the presence of Jesus is in this place. So we cannot avoid dark corners. It's our mission to actually light up dark corners. This, um, this carpet right here is, this is really special to me. I uh, find myself praying many Sundays right in this space. Then I realized one Sunday, I was thinking back to what this building used to be. This building used to be called Club 307. It was a swingers club. And right in this area here, there was a nasty group shower that we demoed. We physically demolished it, took the stronghold down when we moved into this building. But I think that's why this space is so special to me, because it's been redeemed. And the, one of the darkest corners in Peoria has been flipped to light. But he's not done. He's not done. He wants to take more blocks. He wants to take more territory. But he's only going to do it if you and I step forward with him. Um, Heidi's birthday four years ago, January 12th. Some of you know this story. I woke up 5 a.m. like that. And it, I don't know, I don't think it was an audible voice from Jesus, but it was so loud in my spirit, it might as well have been him shouting at me. And what I heard was him say, what is closed is now open. What is closed is now open. And immediately I knew that had to do with the spirit of religion over the city. See, I'm not originally from this city. God had to bring me, like Paul the missionary from Canada, and transplant me here. And I believe one of the reasons was, is to help in the spiritual realm to break off the spirit of religion off this place. Because I'm, I'm well aware of the spirit of religion. I grew up with it. I saw it. It tried to take me out. But I love how Jesus flips things around. What was closed is now open. On March 27th, I was during run-through, breakthrough, breakthrough, sorry, in the morning. I was laying here praying, and I had a vision. And I saw the city of Peoria and, and clear blue sky, and like 30,000 feet up in the air, I saw this doorway. There was no door on it. The door had literally been ripped off its hinges, just the doorway. See, what he opens no one can close and the doorway was filled with light so incredible I just stared at it and my eyes were closed but I was I'm staring in my vision at this door just being completely attracted to this light and then I saw and the light was coming down into the city it was like going both ways up and down through this doorway huge doorway and then I saw Oak Street and I saw manhole covers and these manhole covers started flying off the street 
and went 30,000 feet in the air straight through the door. Like, like a magnet was drawing them. And then I saw them all around the city fly up, fly up, fly up. Then I saw reptile pieces. Bodies of snakes, they're cut in half. Crocodile parts, frogs flying through the sewer system, through those open manhole covers, straight through that doorway. What was closed is now open. He's that, that Leviathan spirit, that spirit of Python, that spirit of religion is being dismembered and he's taking care of it. And then you can, you can ask Phil or Rochelle, they're up here worshiping and I, f I flipped around, still with my eyes closed, I flipped around and I just looked at the light. I just had my hands raised because it was so attracting me, I couldn't do anything but worship. There's something about light. There's something about his presence. There's something about what he's doing in this place that's attracting people to this place. And what he's doing in seven days, it's instantaneous, but it's taken 40 years. What was closed is now open. And he's going to continue releasing more and more glory the more we press in. You know, you, you read the New Testament and you see, you, you, you read and hear about people crowding around Jesus. And we're starting to get that sense in here, like Thursday night, it's not a run through, it's not a practice, it's a breakthrough. You're welcome to come. The presence of God is here. You're, you're welcome to come and pray anytime this building is open. The presence of God is so attractive, it will change you from the inside out instantaneously. But don't forget about the Joshua's and Caleb's that have been warring for this for 40 years. Become the Joshua's and Caleb's that war for it for the next 40 years. When I was writing this, kind of wrapping it up yesterday, I found a, I started to write a poem or maybe a song, Phil, I don't know. And I just felt like the Lord wanted me to share it. It's called, What Was Closed Is Now Open. When I least expected it, I heard his voice so clear. His words are still ringing in my ear. What was closed is now open. That prison door was locked, but Jesus holds the keys. And the door he's broken open is the door I'm walking through. Dry bones rattling, dead things live again. The doorway wide open, light streaming, sun beaming. It's not closed anymore. It's wide, wide open. Revelation 3 says this, write the following to the messenger of the congregation in Philadelphia. For these are the solemn words of the Holy One, the true one who has David's key, who opens doors that none can shut, who closes doors that none can open. I've known, I know all that you've done. Now I've set before you a wide open door. The door's open, my friends. His presence is, it's the realest thing you will experience today. He came for you. He's here for you. He's coming again for you. He's the God who was, who is right now in this moment, and who's coming again.
right before Jesus was taken to the cross, he and his disciples were in the upper room together, having what we call the Last Supper. And in John 13, he writes this. He says, now Jesus was deeply troubled. It's okay to be deeply troubled when you're betrayed or about to be betrayed. Jesus was deeply troubled. And he exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Can you imagine that moment that the disciples like looking at each other like, uh, I thought we were just having this Passover meal. And he's telling us one of us is going to betray him. They're wondering what, whom it was and what that could mean. And John writes, the disciple Jesus loved, who he's referring to himself, was sitting next to Jesus at the table. And I love this, Peter sitting next to John, and Peter taps John on the shoulder and goes, uh, do you know who he's talking about? And so John leans over to Jesus. He's like, <laughs> it's like this game of telephone. John leans over to Jesus and says, Lord, who is it? I wonder if both Peter and John in that moment thought, is it me? Because, you know, there's, there's enough dark corners in each of us that it could have been any one of those 12 at the table. You have a choice today to betray Jesus or to walk after him. You, it's your choice whether you're going to choose darkness or light or carry around a dead flashlight and pretend it's light. We all have the potential. We're, we're either carrying light or darkness. It doesn't mix. It's either light or darkness. And Jesus responded. He says, it's the one who I give the bread and I dip in the bowl. And when he had dipped it, he gave it to Judas. And I wonder in that moment if Judas thought of rejecting that. Because he still had a choice. But when G Judas took the bread, he see he came into agreement with the betrayal. Agreement works both ways. It says when Judas had eaten the bread, see the word, the bread of life, or the bread of death, it's so important what you're ingesting. When Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered him, the Bible says. Then Jesus told him, hurry and do what you're going to do. None of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant. And since Judas was their treasurer, some people thought Jesus was telling him to go and pay for the food or give some money to the poor. <laughs> we, we like to make up clever stories when there's demonic activity happening, don't we? And then it says this, so Judas left at once, going out into the night. See, Jesus set the table for Judas. He knew full well what was going to happen, but he set a place for him. He had, he had wine and the bread for him. He, he gave him communion. But there comes a point where the heart of Judas is exposed. And the presence of Jesus becomes too much for the spirit of Judas and the spirit of the devil. And that darkness has to leave the room. And once Jesus confronted Judas and Satan, they could not stay in the same room. They had to go out into the night. Darkness goes where it belongs, into the night. See, this dark spirit 
spirit of religion or any one of these principalities. They're going to try to attack you, this church, and try to steal authority. But listen to this. You know a stronger man. And that presence cannot stay in the same room as Jesus. It has to be winnowed out. It has to leave into the night. Only light can stay. The light of the world sat down at a table that night. And darkness had to flee. And I came to tell you today, Judas has left the table. He's gone into the night. Here's the thing, though. Once Judas leaves, there's an empty chair. This is the beautiful thing. See, in Acts chapter 2, they filled that chair again. It didn't stay empty. And when darkness is removed, it gives an opportunity for light to come. And maybe today, this is your first time of being invited to come to the table of Jesus. Maybe it's your 10,000th time. Either way, there's an empty chair that Jesus has for you. Because darkness has left the room. And you, as the light of the world, have the opportunity to sit in the chair at his table. He's not going to force you. Oh, he desperately wants you to come. But the choice is yours. You can be like Judas and run into the night. Or you can sit at the chair that's reserved for you. Why don't you stand up? Just close your eyes for a moment. I want to declare and prophesy that dark corners are being lit up. We're announcing this morning a hostile takeover of darkness. We're going right after the darkness. And we're going to light it up. The light of the world is here. And he's ready to light every dark corner within you and around you. But it's your choice to step into it. See, Jericho is about to fall again. Because you carry his presence to the darkest, strongest corner. You don't run from it. You flip it to light. The darkness is a good sign. Because light is about to come. I remember few years ago in Maui, standing at 10,000 feet at 4 a.m. on that mountain, we were waiting for the sunrise. The darkest part of the day is right before the sunrise. And the morning light is about to break upon you. But you have to choose to look, to see your eye is healthy, then your entire body is healthy. And I would say to you this morning, where are you looking? Are you going to be like John in Revelation where he says, come up here? He's telling you that. Come up here to my throne room. 
Come up here and experience me. Come up here because with me, you are above every principality and power. Everything that tries to throw you off and, and, and pitch you a curveball, you're above that. So I just want to invite you this morning to come to the table. I, I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe, maybe you need to come forward. Maybe you just need to step into a, a dark corner in this room and, and light up some things in your heart. Whatever his presence is, is telling you to do, whatever his spirit is telling you to do, do that. But come to the table. The darkness has left the table. The light is beckoning you to the empty chair. That's your empty chair. And if you don't know him this morning, there's no magic words, but you just need to turn to him. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. You can turn right now. You stop walking your own way. You stop walking your own direction, and you, you, you walk with him. Because he's here. He's approaching the shoreline of your life, and he says, follow me. What's your answer going to be? I hope it's yes. He loves you so much. He died and bled for you. His, his beard was ripped off his face for you. He was beaten to an unrecognizable pulp for you. Nails went through his hands and his feet for you. Crown of thorns was placed on his head for you. And by his blood, by his stripes, you are healed. If you choose him. Don't be distracted by Judas. He's gone into the night. But come to the table. He's got food for you. See, you can have as much of Jesus as you want. The choice is yours. He's so full of mystery and surprises and kindness. He just wants to lavish them upon your life. It's, it's not the easiest life. Because he says, take up your cross and follow me. But it's the best life. It's the best life you could ever have with him. And he's calling you home today. He's calling you back to the light today. Some of you have been carrying around flashlights that are dead and you've been calling them light. Drop that religion now. In Jesus' name, we bind and rebuke that spirit. And come to his presence where he will light your life up. You don't need to carry anything, just him. Just him. He's waiting for you. First Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his very own possession. He loves you so much. So much. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Jesus, we choose you this morning. 10,000 things happening in every heart here right now. 
Spirit of God, would you hover over these hearts just like you hovered over the darkness of the waters and speak into every heart right now. Let there be light. And may we be full carriers of your light. Where you light up every dark corner within us, would you expose those areas right now? May we turn back to you and repent for those dark corners. And then, we don't stop there. May we carry your light to every part of this city, our neighborhood, this downtown block, our businesses, our schools, our friends, our family. God, would you use us somehow? You've chosen us to carry this marvelous light. Would you use us to be the light of the world that is not hidden but shines and just reflects you. May we be like the moon. It just reflects the sun. Nothing of ourselves, just reflection. Thank you, Father, for your marvelous light. You've chosen us. We're so overwhelmed by your goodness and your kindness that leads us all to repentance. And we declare today what was closed is now open in us, around us, through us, in this region. Jesus, have your way. We yield to you and you alone.